Pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. All right. Well, in the past couple of weeks, we learned uh, a few things that it's important that we meet together as a church in person. Lord, am I going to need to baptize this morning? Get me a bottle. I got a bottle of water right here. I might have to baptize somebody this morning. Lord. But we learned it's not beneficial to miss church, is it? And the Apostle Paul admonished us in Hebrews 10.25. He said, not to neglect our meeting together, unless, of course, we find ourselves in the middle of a COVID-19 pandemic, then it's okay. Huh? He didn't say it's okay. No, it doesn't say that, does it? He said, not to neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. How many knows his return is drawing near? And we're at a place in time now where we need to take on a sense of urgency because I know every one of us in here has got people that are not saved and are not living for the Lord. And it's our job to get the word to them. Amen. It's our job to witness to them. It's our job to get them into the kingdom of God. Amen. And, uh, you know, if you see somebody that isn't here, call them, encourage them, admonish them, tell them you miss them. Amen. Especially as you see the day approaching, as it gets closer and closer, we need to do that more and more. And we also learn the true definition of, of prayer and the basic fundamentals of how to pray. Uh, in short, it's simply communing with our Heavenly Father, having two-way communication. That's what communion means, having two-way communications. You talk some, you listen some. He talks some, and he listens to you. Amen. I don't know if we realize the privilege it is to be able to commune with our Heavenly Father. Amen. Yes. I mean, the God of all the universe, of everything that exists in this galaxy and galaxies beyond, He's the creator of it all, and we get to talk to Him, and He listens. And He even answers us if we listen. That's a privilege. Amen. Uh, we learn from what is called the Lord's Prayer, that we must recognize, first of all, who we're talking to and what his position is. It says that Jesus taught us to pray, and he said, pray thusly, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Holy be thy name. And uh, so we're talking to our heavenly Father, and we need to recognize his position. He's in heaven. He's far above us, both Physically, positionally, and spiritually. He's our superior. We're his servants. Amen. And he is holy. That's what hallowed means. He is holy. And when we approach him, we have to approach him in that attitude. He's our heavenly father, but he's God of the universe. And he is holy. Amen. Approach him in that attitude. Be reverent to him when you talk to him. And uh, we have to recognize that he's high above us, he, positionally as well as spiritually. 
And this is the attitude that we have to approach with that type of respect and that type of reverence. Jesus said if we do that, he said whatever we ask in the Father's name, he will give it to us. So we're to pray directly to the Father in Jesus' name or by the authority that is behind that name. Remember I said there's legalities involved here. It was a man that lost dominion. It had to be a man to get dominion back. That's why Jesus came to earth as a man. He got our dominion back as a man. He suffered and died as a man. Amen? So there's authority behind that name. And he said, whatever we ask the Father in his name, he will give it to us so that our joy might be full. Hallelujah. How many could use a little joy? I know you can. I can see it. (laughs) But this morning, I want to show you something. I want to show you that we all have a part to play in the church and that it's not all up to the pastors to do everything. Uh, Every one of us have a ministry. Every one of us has a job to do. And I tell you what's going to happen. If you don't do your job, somebody else is going to have to do it. If they don't do it, then your pastors are going to have to do it. Amen. Because it is going to get done. I mean, we've been in this building, what, 21 years now? We're still standing. We still got the lights on. We still got seats. We got air conditioning and heating and, and all the luxuries. And, and it didn't stay that way by itself. It's because all of us chipped in and we kept the, the lights on, so to speak. Amen. So we all have a job to do, and the main job to do is to grow the church. Not just this church, but to grow the universal church, to grow the kingdom of God. That's our job to do that. Amen? And it's more your job than it is the pastor's job. Amen? Uh, It is not the pastor's job to do all the work of the ministry. Somebody said, well, what are we paying you for then? Well, I'll show you since you asked. In Acts chapter 6 and verse 4, the Bible tells us what the pastor's primary responsibility is to the church. See, the leaders in the newborn church were being burdened down with the everyday care and the administration of the church, of the physical building of the church. Uh, All the responsibilities, and they were responsible for the praying and the teaching. And so they chose certain ones to carry out the day-to-day responsibilities of the church. In other words, the administration of the church. You know, uh, instead of the pastors answering all the phone calls, they had somebody to answer the phone calls. Instead of the pastors waiting on the tables in the fellowship hall, they appointed somebody else to do it. Instead of the pastors doing all of the hospital visitation, they appointed a hospital team to go do the visitation. Uh, They had counseling teams. They had all kinds of people that would step forward Men and women that were full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom and did the work of the ministry so that the pastors could do the praying and the studying of the word and the preaching. In Acts 6, 4, it says, but we will give ourselves, the pastors and the teachers, continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So it's the pastor's job to give themselves continually to prayer and the ministration or the ministry of the word. And if they had to do everything else in the church, that's going to take away from their praying. It's going to take away from their ministry in the word. And when they get up here to preach on a Sunday morning, they're going to sound like Donald Duck because they didn't do enough studying, didn't do enough praying. And so 
It's your job to see that the pastors are clear to do that. It's your job to see that we have time and we don't have to worry about the administration of the church and all the things, paying the bills and all of that stuff. Uh, so we'll have time to study and pray. And, and, and if we don't do that, the whole church suffers because you're not getting the word that you're supposed to get. Amen. Amen. So the pastors can't do it all and neither are we supposed to. You might ask, well, then how is all this work going to get done? Who's supposed to grow the church? Well, I wasn't even going to bring this up, but since you asked, I'm going to tell you. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. You know, as Jesus, after he was raised from the dead and he visited the, the disciples, he appeared to uh, all kinds of people and for a 40-day post-resurrection ministry. After all of that, and he's ready to go back to heaven, he's ascending into heaven. Uh, that's what we're going to pick up here in Ephesians chapter 4. But it says that he gave gifts to the church, and he tells us in Ephesians 4 the purpose of these gifts. In Ephesians 4.11, he says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. That was the gifts he gave. Five ministry gifts. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And sometimes you could have a combination. You could have a pastor that's an evangelist and an evangelist that's a prophet and uh, so on and so forth. But usually the pastor's primary job is to teach and minister the word. Number, uh, verse 12, to equip his people, God's people, for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. The less you know in the word, the more you're going to be deceived. And so it's our job to teach the word. And verse 15 says, instead of speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect. Uh, or I'm sorry, it said instead speaking the truth in love. In other words, we're to speak the truth in love. And we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. We're the body of Christ in the earth. He's the head. He's in heaven. He communes to us via the Holy Spirit. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love. Say love. love. In love as each part, each person, each part of the body does its work. And a lot of people think it's the pastor's job to do all the work of the ministry, but it's not. They think that it's the pastor's job to do all the praying. All you got to do is send us a prayer request and go back to bed. But that's not how it works. We will pray with you. And we will pray for you if you can't pray for yourself. But it's not our job to do all the praying. James said, is any sick among you or afflicted? Let him pray. Who, the pastor? No, you. You pray. Call your pastors. Get them to hook up. Say, I want you to hook up with me. Because uh, the prayer of agreement is powerful. 
If any two on earth agree is touching anything that they ask, it shall be done for them of their Father in heaven. So there's prayer and agreement. We'll be happy to agree with you, but we're not doing all your praying. Amen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I thought it'd get quiet on that one. But why did Christ give the gifts? For the perfecting of the saints or to bring the saints to maturity in the word. For the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, to equip his people for works of service. And how are we to do all this? In love. In love. L-O-B-E. In love. So a church is to be full of people that are ready, willing, and able to pray. Ready, willing, and able to minister. Ready, willing, and able to help one another. Ready, willing, and able to do the work of the ministry and the ministry of helps no matter what it takes. They're willing to do it. Amen. Thank God we have a church full of people like that. And we appreciate it, I'm telling you. So what's the gifts for again? To train you, to teach you uh, the word and bring you to maturity in the things of God. To prepare you for works of service. Why? So that the body of Christ may be built up and grow. How? In love. Amen. So we're all ministers. You're a minister. I'm a minister. Paul said that it has been given unto you the ministry of reconciliation. What does that mean? It means you go around telling people that they can be reconciled back to God, that God loved them so much. He sent his only son. He died on the cross for your sins, for your iniquities. And he rose again on the third day. And God wants you back in right standing with him. He wants you reconciled to him. Tell people that God loves them. He's not mad at them. Amen. And the devil been lying to him. That's your ministry. Why? To grow the church, to grow the body of Christ. I like what the New Living Translation says in verse 16 of what we read. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament. You're a ligament. You hold the body together. And uh, is held together uh, from him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We all have a part. We all have work to do. And uh, one thing that will help us to grow more than anything else is the study of the word, hearing the word, reading the word. Because we need faith, amen? And faith comes how? By hearing and hearing the word of God. Not just hearing it one time, but hearing it and hearing it and hearing it, reading it and reading it and reading it. And not just reading as some kind of a religious obligation just to say that, well, I got my five minutes in today. No, read it uh, methodically. Read it meticulously. Read it slow. Stop and ponder on different parts of the scripture. Meditate on it. Get it in your heart and then go over it again. That's the type of reading. I'd rather see you get one paragraph like that than read a whole book in one day. Just get something out of one paragraph and you've accomplished what you needed to accomplish. Amen. It will help you grow tremendously. Uh, take some notes in the service. I'm not saying to write the service, the, the message down word for word, but just a little note here and there to jog your memory later when you go to look it over again. Another thing to do with these, this modern technology like Facebook and YouTube, and you know, we're on there. 
Go listen to the message again. You'll hear something you didn't hear the first time. And you'll hear something that is designed specifically for you and your situation. Amen. It will help you grow. Uh, the main thing you can do to grow the church is be able to lead someone to the Lord. How does this church grow? Somebody gets saved. Well, somebody got to tell them about Jesus before they're going to get saved. So that should be you. That's your job. Sheep, what? Beget sheep. It's not our job to grow the church. It's our job to train you, and it's your job to grow the church. That don't mean we don't witness. That don't mean that we don't lead somebody to the Lord. You get them here, and we'll lead them to the Lord. I've witnessed to my neighbors. I've witnessed to people in grocery stores, at the gas station. I've witnessed to people at work. And uh, I didn't get everybody to say the prayer. I didn't get everybody to join the kingdom of God. And you won't either. But at least you'll plant a seed. Amen. You can ask Paddywhack back there. I witnessed to our boss for years. And finally, one day, I had the opportunity to uh, actually preach the gospel to him. And, and even then, he didn't say the prayer with me. But I'm telling you what, he went home thinking about it. And, and he's gone He's gone home, I like to say, to be with the Lord right now, because I really believe that somewhere along the line, he accepted Jesus. Amen. Amen. You know, like Pastorette was saying, there's all kinds of things you, you do when you're sick and think you're going to die or something. Uh, there's all kinds of things you do, and one of them is to call out on the Lord. I'll guarantee you. And, and we can never judge anybody as to whether or not they're saved, because we could never know that. Only the Holy Spirit and God knows that. Amen. Uh, just because they don't act saved don't mean they're not saved. Because I know people that act saved that ain't saved. So you can, can never judge somebody. Amen. But we believe the best for them. Hallelujah. Jesus said in Matthew 9, 37 and 38, and this is going to be the crux of my message this morning. Uh, he said, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. So we got more harvest than we got laborers. That's a problem, isn't it? And he says, pray you, therefore, the Lord of the harvest. Pray to the Lord of the harvest, the Lord of Seboeth. And, and who is that? That's the Lord himself. He said, pray to God. Pray to God uh, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Into his harvest. You know, James said that he waits for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it. That's talking about the harvest. He's waiting for the harvest. And what's he waiting for? You and me to get out there as laborers and get the harvest in. Especially as we know that the, the coming of the Lord is drawing near and time is getting short. We all need laborers in our field. I have a family and, and you know, I'd like to believe they're all saved, but I know some of them aren't. And you have a family where you know some of them aren't. So if you can't witness to them because they know you, then you have to <laughs> you have to pray. Think about it a minute. It'll come to you. Then you have to pray for a laborer to go into your harvest field. Somebody they will listen to. the The harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray you, the Lord of the harvest, that He'll send laborers into the harvest field. Pray, pray to God. Ask him to send laborers into your harvest field. And, you know, Jesus instructs us to do two things here. Number one, pray for the laborers. 
And number two, whether you caught it or not, be a laborer yourself. Pray for laborers and be willing to be a laborer yourself. And, and people think they can't lead someone to the Lord. I'm just too shy. I'm too intimidated. I just don't have that type of boldness. But that's not true. You can have it. Look at Acts chapter 1. Uh, so before you say you can't, listen to this. Luke, I believe, is, is the writer of Acts. He says, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses. Who? You. Me. We can all receive power through the Holy Spirit. And he says, you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. But I want you to notice, he says, Jerusalem first, the place where you live, the city that you live in, your house, your, your workplace, the grocery store, the things that you frequent. He said, be a witness there first. And then he says in Judea, that would be the community, the state, so to speak. And then in Samaria, which would be our whole country. And then he says to the uttermost part of the earth, which would include the world. But you have got to be able to witness in Jerusalem before you go to any of those other places. Get your own family saved. Work in your own harvest field to the extent that you can. And where you can't reach somebody, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he'll send a laborer that they will listen to. Amen? So where should you be a witness first? Home, school, the job, in Jerusalem. And if you can be a witness there, you can be a witness anywhere. That's the hardest place to witness. I have an easier time talking to a perfect stranger about God than I do some of my friends and relatives. That's the truth. Amen. But he said here, if, you, if you're filled with the Holy Ghost, he will give you that boldness. Uh, Gwenny got a lesson back there. I, I've said it before, but it bears repeating. Uh, and the title of the lesson is that the Holy Ghost will take the chicken out of you. And it has, you know, cute little animal figures and chickens and stuff. And, and she teaches on being filled with the Holy Ghost to the little kids. You get little kids filled with the Holy Ghost. And she says the Holy Ghost will take the chicken out of you. What does that mean? That means you'll have boldness to witness where you didn't have it before. Because that's what the power is. After the Holy Ghost come upon you, you should be witnesses. So what's the power for? To be a witness. Amen. Hallelujah. You know, you received the Holy Ghost at the new birth. When you were born again, you received the Holy Ghost. But then there's another dimension and this is what gives you the power that you need to witness and that you need to service for service. And he said, we will be a witness. He didn't say we will go a witnessing. Amen. There's a difference. So we're to be a witness. How? Where? Everywhere you go, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, you are to be a witness. Not just in word, but in deed. Amen. And, and you know, uh, we have to show forth our love. Why? So that all men will know that we are his disciples. That's how they'll know we're disciples, by the love that we have one for another. It's going to be unusual to them. They're, it's going to stand out to them. They're not going to understand how we could be so loving towards one another when there's so much hate, hatred in the world. 
but we can do that. Amen. Hallelujah. The power is for witnessing, but it's also about leading a life of a witness, leading the life of a witness. And it's important being able to lead someone to the Lord, but you can't do that unless you're a good witness. There's two types of witnesses, good witnesses and bad witnesses. You've got to be a good witness. You have to be the real deal. People are sick of hypocrites, lawyers and politicians. I, I didn't say lawyers and politicians. That slipped out. But people are sick of hypocrites. I don't care if you're a hypocrite mechanic. I don't care if you're a hypocrite teacher, a hypocrite doctor, a hypocrite shoe salesman. People are tired of hypocrites. And they can see through you. If you're a hypocrite, they know it. Amen. Because sooner or later, you'll slip up. Now, you can, be, you can have your Sunday go to meet face on right now and have a big smile on your face, leave the door and live like the devil. People know that. That's not a good witness. They're not going to listen to you. Amen. I mean, the worst thing that can happen is when you witness to someone and then they find out you sleeping around or going to the bars and honky-tonks or smoking dope or drinking or whatever, cussing like a sailor, uh, that kills your witness. They're not going to listen to you anymore. You can't witness to them anymore. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I, you know, one thing I've protect, perfected over the years is how to make a church quiet. <laughs> I know exactly how to make a church quiet. Just preach the truth. <laughs> but, you know, it's like I always said, if I'm talking about you, just look straight ahead and smile. They won't know it. Hallelujah. Look at your neighbor and say, be a witness. It's not what you know, but what you show. And since it's my job to teach, I'm going to teach you how to lead someone to the Lord this morning. Uh, because I'm going to tell you something. As long as we're talking about witnessing, as long as you're curious and want to know, some of you... I know you're Christians. I know you're saved. I never question your salvation, but you don't look like it sometimes. You look like you've been sucking on a lemon. I would have said persimmon, but not everybody knows about persimmons and how sour they could be if they're not right. But that's how some of you look. You look like old prudes. And, and you know, then all of a sudden you get around somebody that has been watching you for a long time, and you say, oh, praise the Lord, brother, how are you? And you get all happy and, and, and try to act like you're filled with God and the love of God, and they know better. They're not listening to you. You can't be a witness to them. They know you. Amen. But anyway, quit being so grouchy. Quit being so hateful. You know, there's a lot of things that you can say in love that you can't say in a spirit of anger. There's things I can say in love that people will receive. But if you puff up your chest and get all righteous and, and everything in their face, they're not going to hear you. They're not going to listen to you. Their spirit is going to go and close to you. And you can't be a witness. But anyway, let me give you some points here, at least four points on getting somebody saved or leading them to the Lord. Number one, make an acquaintance. Make an acquaintance with somebody. I mean, you need to be friendly to people. You need to introduce yourself and uh, shake their hand. Tell them your name. Don't preach to them. Don't ask them if they know Jesus or, ask them, or tell them they're going to hell because that'll 
close their spirit. They won't listen to you. Just be friendly. Make an acquaintance and then begin to pray for the opportunity to witness to them. And now don't forget, you're witnessing all the time by your actions and the way that you're living. And I know for a fact some of you have been around people, whether it's at work or clubs or the gym, been around them for a long time and still don't know their names. Go up to them, introduce yourself, make an acquaintance, meet people. And the most important thing you have to do as a Christian is, like I said, love one another. By this, all men shall know that you're my disciples by the love that you have one for another. And this is not an option for a Christian. It, love is not optional. You are commanded to love one another. And, and uh, we're commanded to love one another like Jesus loves the church, like Jesus loved us. That's a high calling. But you know what? The Holy Ghost helps you to do that. The Holy Ghost will help you love people that are totally unlovable. He will help you tolerate people that are intolerable. I'm telling you, this is the power that we need for witnessing. And the number one way you show love is by the example God gave us, by giving. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him shall not perish but have what everlasting life. God said he loved us, and then he proved it by giving. Amen? And so we have to be givers because love gives. And, uh, you know, when your love is based on feelings or based on how somebody makes you feel, then you'll be fickle because love like that is fickle. And you'll fall in and out of love all the time. You'll fall in and out of relationships all the time. You'll fall in and out of church all the time. Why? Because your love is fickle. It's based on how somebody makes you feel. If they make you feel warm and fuzzy, you'll love them. But as soon as the warm and fuzzy feelings go away, you don't love them anymore. As long as the church tells you what you want to hear, you love this church. But as soon as we start stepping on your toes and telling you you need to correct some things and give you the truth of the word, you don't love us so much anymore. So you go and leave and try to find another church. Amen. Love is not a feeling. It produces feelings, but it is not a feeling. Love is a choice, right? We choose to love. And if, if everything you do, if your love is based on feelings, uh, your life will be like a roller coaster, up and down, round and round, and it's going to drive you crazy. Amen. But when you walk in love by choice, then it stabilizes your life. It stabilizes your relationships. It stabilizes your position in a church or, or whatever. Uh, why? Because you chose that. And when something comes up that doesn't make you feel warm and fuzzy, you continue to love because you choose to do that. Amen? Yeah. I'm not going to go by this bad feeling I got right now. They hurt my feelings, but I'm still going to love them. Amen. It's a choice. Don't be governed by your feelings because your feelings will lie to you and tell you things that ain't true. And they'll get you to fall out of love and fall out of relationships and even leave churches. Why? Because your feelings got hurt. We don't walk by feelings. We don't walk by sight. We walk by faith and we walk by love. And that's a choice. You choose to walk like that. Amen. Hallelujah. When you walk in love and faith... 
And by the way, that's by walking, walking by the word. Because faith and love is built into the word. If you're a doer of the word, you are walking in faith and love. You can't help yourself. It's built in. But it stays the same every day. That's what's so wonderful about it. It's not like feelings. It's not a roller coaster. It's not a merry-go-round. Love stays the same. The word stays the same. Truth never changes. Truth never never. Uh, uh, varies. It never veers off. It's, it's not up and down. It's always straight and steady, stable. And, and that's how your life will be when you're saying and doing the right things. If you're saying and doing the right things and choosing to walk in love, then your feelings will eventually come in line with the word and what you've been speaking. Amen. Amen. But we don't let our feelings dictate our lives to us. There's a lot of times I'm uncomfortable, but if I know I'm supposed to be there, if I know I'm supposed to be doing what I'm doing, I stick with it. I choose to stick with it, no matter how it makes me feel. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And like I said, the number, way, the number one way you show love is by giving. Give people your time. Give people your confidence. Give people your loyalty. Uh, your faithfulness, your commitment, your resources sometimes. Show people that you love them and appreciate them by giving them what they need. Amen. And I ain't talking about being taken advantage of. I'm talking about uh, if somebody's hurting, give them some love. If somebody needs some physical help, give them some physical help. If somebody needs a bag of groceries, buy them a bag of groceries. Amen. Amen. Yeah. That's what love is. That's what love does. And you can't imagine how good it feels to know someone cares about you, not only cares about you, but believes in you. Somebody that's there for you. You know, I'm with you. You're going to make it. God and I are going to see that you do make it. He'll never leave you or forsake you. Amen. I'm here for you, man. Here's my phone number. Call me and give them what they need then. James said, if you, you know, you see a brother that's in need and you say, be you warmed and filled and you don't. Uh, fulfill his need, right. what good is that? Exactly. Say, be you warmed and filled, here's a tank of gas. Be you warmed and filled, here's a bag of groceries. Yes. Give something. That's how they'll know that you love them. Why is that important? Because if you ever want to be a good witness to them, that's going to count tremendously because they'll have some confidence and faith in you and they'll trust you and they'll listen to what you have to say. That's right. Amen. But if you tell them, you know you're going to hell. Do you know Jesus? They're gone. You lost them. And you may lose them for the next guy that's going to try to witness to them. Because when they call you a hypocrite, they're calling the whole church a hypocrite. Put us all in the same bag. It shouldn't be that way, but it is. Romans 2.4 says, Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, in other words, like Pastor Ed was saying this morning, do you take that stuff for uh, a, 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 granted? Do you take advantage of God sometimes? And we do. Yes. And that's what he's saying here. Do you take advantage of the riches of his kindness, his forbearance and patience, not, that, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Yes. What leads you to repentance? Kindness. Not condemning somebody, not judging them, not telling them they're going to hell, not asking them if they know Jesus, just being kind to them. 
That's what love does. Love is patient. Love is kind. So we, we need to walk in love. But here's the question. Where are they going to see God's kindness? In you. You're God's representative on the earth. You're Christ's ambassador on the earth. If they're going to see God's kindness, feel God's love, feel God's compassion, he's going to, they're going to have to see it in you. Because you have to demonstrate God through you and through your actions. And, and that's different than what they see in the world. And I'm telling you, as soon as you start producing it, they're going to recognize it. They're going to know it's real. They're going to know that you're real. And that's important. They need to see love in your life. They need to see peace in your life, joy in your life. They need to see success in your marriage and raising your children, in your finances. They need to see that the word you're preaching to them is working for you. If it's not working for you, they're not going to want it. You can't preach healing if you're sick all the time. You can't preach about the uh, prosperity of the Lord if you're broke all the time, don't have two nickels to rub together. Show them the goodness and the kindness of God in your life. Show them that it's working in your life. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. And I'm not saying you have to have a Mercedes. I'm not saying you have to have a big fancy house to show them God's kindness. I mean, poor people can show God's kindness in their life. Amen? How? By not acting poor. By not crying poor mouth. Amen? Like Mike used to say, if you ain't got it, fake it till you make it. Right. Amen. Amen. But they need to see that. They need to see that the word you're sharing with them works for you. You can't tell them to do something that you're not doing. Uh, and, and we, you know, we might not be where we're supposed to be right now in these areas, but we can get there. Yeah. Amen. And, and we should pursue it. And uh, we should be doing the word concerning these things. We should all strive to show forth the goodness and the kindness of God in and through our lives. Not just telling them about it. They don't want to see. They, they don't want to hear. They want to see what you got. Amen? Amen. And they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I don't know who said that, but I just repeat that's what's going to make people want to know God. It's got to be something different about us. Make an acquaintance. Number two, make a friend. And it has to be in that order. You don't make a friend and an acquaintance. You've got to make an acquaintance before you could ever make a friend. And this part takes time. It's not just leading them in a prayer. It's like I said, a lot of people have, pray, have prayed the prayer and never got saved. Uh, your goal shouldn't be getting them to say a prayer. And I hate to say it, but that's a lot of evangelists. You know, they kind of force a prayer on you because they want, they want to get the numbers. And I believe they have a heart for souls. Don't get me wrong. I'm not condemning them. I'm just saying that that shouldn't be our goal. Our goal should not only make a, a convert or get somebody to say the prayer, but our goal should be to make them a disciple. Amen? Because we want them to stay in it. There's people that have prayed the prayer, never got saved, and went right back to living the life that they've always lived as a sinner, and we didn't know any the wiser. We didn't leave them with a phone number. We didn't get their phone number. We didn't check up on them, nothing. Make a friend. 
uh, like I said, we not only want to win people, but we want to feed them and cause them to grow so they'll go out and win people. That's how the kingdom of God grows. Jesus gave us the example of a shepherd and a flock of sheep. And the pastor's job is to feed the sheep, lead and guide the sheep, and to protect them from the wolf or protect them from dangers. But should anything be expected of the sheep? Yes. It's your job to produce more sheep. That's how the shepherd prospers. That's how his flock grows. He makes more wool that way. Amen? Amen. Remember Romans 2. It's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. People have to see the goodness in you, and they need to be able to see that God is a good God through you. We don't nag people to get them saved. You don't condemn them because of their sin. They're sinners. That's what they do. Don't be surprised when they sin in front of you, when they cuss in front of you, when they light up in front of you. Don't be surprised. That's what sinners do. Dogs bark, cast me out, ducks quack, and sinners sin. Amen. That shouldn't change you. Your love should still be coming out. The goodness of God should still be coming out. The kindness of God should still be shining forth out of you. And they need to be able to see that. And condemning people will never win them. It pushes them away, if anything. And what impacts them more than anything else is when you can show them love and kindness in spite of what they're doing, in spite of where they're at, and not judge them for what they're doing. Amen. How they dress or the color of their hair. And there's some wild colors out there today. Pinks and reds and purples. You're going to see that. Amen. And if you've got pink or purple hair, you're a Christian. I'm not condemning you. It might look good on you. I don't know. Maybe it matches your eyes. That's fine with me. Go ahead with it. But don't let it affect you. Don't let it change the way you feel about them. If they have tattoos or Rings in places that make you cringe when you see them, don't let that affect you. Don't let that change the way that you feel. They don't need to look like you. And, you know, when I was in management at UPS, one of the, I had to go through these different schools and classes, and one of the things they taught us was what they call the Pygmalion effect. I don't know if you realize what that is or not. I didn't know nothing about it before. Pretty much forgot about it afterwards. But the Pygmalion effect is when you look at somebody and expect them to look like you, and if they don't, you're disappointed in them. They warned us against that. They said, don't expect everybody to be like you. Judge them on their own merits. Amen? And so that's what we have to do. We can't, because they don't look like us, we can't condemn them. We can't judge them. We still have to love them and show kindness. God didn't give us any, you know, accepts on this. But, you know, we're to be fishers of men, and if you're a fisherman, you know that different fish require different baits. A bass usually won't bite on catfish bait, a dough ball or, you know, something stinky. Bass wants fresh minnows, life bait, maybe a worm once in a while, if it's wiggling a little bit. But you have to have the, find the right bait. Find out what interest that person, what bait they'll go for, and dangle it in front of them. And, and you know, I, I know a conversation starter that works every time 
is if you know what somebody likes. And if it's an elderly couple like, not me or Pastorette, but if they have grandkids, usually just start talking about the grandkids. And you got them. You started a conversation right there. Or if, you know, he has a, a fancy car or a flashy car, talk about cars and you'll get them. It's, a, it's what we call a door opener. Amen. A, a conversation starter. But find out what kind of bait they'll go for and then dangle it before them. And, you know, I've talked to plenty of people uh, about the Lord and never got them to pray the prayer. And like I said earlier, my boss was one of them. But you planted a seed. And Paul says some will plant, some will water. But it's God that gives the increase. It's God's responsibility to give the increase. And, and like I said, you may not lead everyone to the Lord, but you at least plant a seed, something for them to think about. And we should never try to shove Jesus down someone's throat. Right. Amen. We don't need to hard sell him. He's much too worthy for that. He's much too good for that. He'll sell himself. All you got to do is tell them and show them the goodness of the Lord. That will sell it. And uh, if they don't want them, shake the dust from your feet and move on to the next one. Don't, don't worry about them. Don't cry over them. Just move on to the next one. Don't let it change you. Amen? Amen. Uh, plant the seed and move on. That's all you can do. Leave them alone because that's what God would do. God ain't going to push himself on anybody, and you shouldn't either. Make an acquaintance, make a friend. Number three, make a convert. In other words, get them saved. And there comes a point where now you're a friend, they're comfortable with you, and there's been some trust established, and so now you can introduce them to Jesus. And, and you know, you might need a door opener, but, you know, like, hey, I know we're not talking about this right now, but it just come to me. Have you ever given any thought about eternity? Do you think this is it right here? And then let them talk. They'll start talking and the door is open. And then you get come around to where, well, you know, the Lord has a lot to do with our eternities and where we spend it, you know. Are you, do you know where you're going to spend your eternity? I know where I'm going to spend mine. But there's a certain way you have to get there. And then... And then just come around in a polite way. But you can't do this if you don't know somebody. You can't do this if they're not a friend. You don't have any trust established with them. And that's why I say it takes time sometimes to get somebody to the place where they'll say the prayer with you. And, uh, you know, I know some denominations... Believe in going and knocking on the door. I, you know, I'm, I'm not condemning them. I'm not saying it doesn't work. But how many times has somebody knocked on your door and tried to witness to you? Anybody in here get saved like that? It usually don't work. It usually turns people off. So uh, that's why I say there's enough people in your life that you don't have to go door knocking. And if the church ever gets to the place where they all start doing their job, they know somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody. We don't need to go hard door knocking and turning people off. And I know that some of you right now are thinking of experiences that you had and they weren't pleasant. Amen. And I can remember somebody I said, look, you got your religion, I got mine. You, you leave me alone, I leave you alone. I close the door in their face. And, and, and a couple of those times I was actually lost when I said that. <laughs> 
I thought I was saved, but I later learned I wasn't. I was nowhere near saved. If I died, I would have went to hell. But that's the way we have to do it sometimes. And uh, uh, we have to come to the reality that not everybody's going to accept your knock on the door. But make an acquaintance, make a friend, make a convert, get them saved. And, you know, there's all kinds of deadly deceptions out there as to how you get saved. But I'm going to tell you something. A man by the name of Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. And Jesus tells him, Verily, verily, or surely, surely, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so you get born again in the spirit the same way you were born into the world in the flesh. There has to be two births, an, an earthly birth by a mother, that's the water birth, and then a spiritual birth by God the Father, that's the spiritual birth. That's getting born again or saved. And Nicodemus says unto him, how can a man be born again when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born again? See, he was thinking naturally, but Jesus was talking spiritually. No, you've already done that, Nicodemus. That's why you're here. You've already uh, come by way of a mother, and you don't have to go that way. Now we're talking about your spiritual man. That spirit man has to be born again. And, and Jesus told him point blank. Except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. We have to separate the two. We have to keep them separate. There's two separate births. And so there's all kinds of deadly deceptions about what it means to be saved. But no matter what people think or what you think, Jesus said you must be born again. That's how you get saved. And being baptized as a child like I was didn't save me, didn't make me a Christian. Because my mother and father were Christians didn't make me a Christian. Being baptized as an adult doesn't save you. Joining the church doesn't save you. Doing good works doesn't save you. Jesus said you must be born again. You must. So we have to understand this, uh, this because a lot of people think they're saved for all kinds of different reasons, and they're not. Like I said, I was one of them. I thought I was saved. I thought I was secure because I was baptized as a, as a baby. But I never was born again. And Jesus said, what? You must be born again. And people will go to hell thinking they're saved because they're depending on a false belief like that. Jesus said, what? You must be born again. Must be. No exceptions. And how do I get someone born again? This might be a part, a two-parter. But turn with me to Romans chapter 10. This is how we actually get people saved now. You made an acquaintance. You made a friend. Uh, you're making a convert. And this is how you make a convert. And I know we, you know, you know, you're familiar with these scriptures, and but sometimes we take things for granted, right? But I'm not going to assume that everyone knows this. And besides, I want everyone in this church to be able to lead somebody to the Lord. We should be able to. It's our job. Yes. So Romans 8 or 10, verses 8 through 10 says this. Paul is saying, but what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. How do I get saved? By using your mouth and your heart. By believing what they preach. By believing the word that you heard, the gospel message. 
Now, here's the main components to getting saved. Uh, the mouth, the heart, and the word of faith. He says in verse 9, that if you shall confess with your mouth or say it out of your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, he says you shall be saved. Now, I'm telling you, it's as simple as that. And people and ministers and church leaders and denominations have added to this and taken away from it down through the years to where people don't know how to get saved anymore. This is it. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. That's the only two requirements. And then he says, for with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So in other words, you believe it in your heart, you confess it with your mouth. That's what gets you saved or born again. And it has to be both. It can't be believing in your heart and not speaking, or it can't be speaking without believing it in your heart. It has to be both. And then he said in verse 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How many people can get saved by calling on the name of the Lord? Can you? Whosoever. Doesn't make any difference if they got pink hair, tattoos, rings in their nose, their ear, and their wherever else. They can be saved. They're whosoever. And then he says, how then shall they call on him who they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And you're a preacher. If you're sharing the word with somebody, you're a preacher. And how shall they preach except they be sent? You're being sent. I'm telling you right now, go in Jerusalem and get somebody saved. Amen. Amen. And, and, you know, there's some people that you're not going to reach. And it's usually your closest relatives and your closest friends. And those are the ones you pray for a laborer. Uh, and there's always somebody out there they will listen to. You pray and ask God to send that person that they'll listen to. So you pray, Lord, send laborers across their path into that harvest field. And enlighten the eyes of their understanding. Help them to see that they need what you have and what your son paid the price for. And, and you know, because the, the Bible says that the God of this world, Satan, he's the God of this world, has blinded not the eyes but the minds of, of those people lest they believe and get saved. So he don't want them to believe. He's got their minds blinded with lies and deceptions and all kinds of things. And so we have to pray that God would enlighten the eyes of their understanding, lift the blinders off of their minds so that they can see. Right now they're blind. That's why they're still running around lost. They don't realize what's at stake. They don't realize what eternity means. And it's our job to tell them. So we start that by praying. And, you know, you got to pray for opportunities. As a laborer, you have to pray for opportunities. And I've prayed for opportunities to talk to my neighbors. And I'm telling you, God gave me the opportunity for every one of them. I've talked to every one of my neighbors. I've talked to people at work in the places I've worked. I've talked to them. God will give you opportunities, but you got to pray for them. And if God gives you that opportunity, that means he's prepared the heart of that person to hear the words that you have. Or he won't give you the opportunity. Amen. That's why I say, don't go knocking on a door unless God told you to knock on a specific door. Because he went before you and he's prepared the way. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Well, I'm going to tell you, I got, 
at least another half an hour, but we're going we're gonna to close it off here. Let me see. I got one, two, three, four more pages of notes. We'd be here at 1 o'clock. <laughs> but make an acquaintance, make a friend, make a convert. And then the last point would be make a disciple. A disciple. In other words, you've got to get them in church. Get them somewhere where they can be fed the word, where they can be nurtured, where they can grow. Call them and check up on them. Watch their backs. Make sure the devil isn't stealing the word that you've sown in their hearts. Help them get through it. They're going to have rough times. Be there for them. Tell them, look, we're going to make this. We're going to do it. You ain't the first one to go through this, man. First thing we're going to do is we're going to pray and ask God to help us. And, and teach him those things. Make a disciple out of him. Don't just get him to say the prayer and then leave him to the wolves because the wolf will eat a baby in a minute. Don't do that. Disciple him. Amen? I said I'm going to quit, but it's hard. Let's pray. Anyway, be a caretaker. That's what I'm trying to say. Be a caretaker. Don't just get him to say the prayer and say, be you warm and filled. See you in eternity. Uh-uh, don't work that way. Hallelujah. Father God, we thank you for your understanding and direction. We thank you for allowing us to be laborers in your kingdom. We consider it to be a great privilege. Lord, we know that you have a gigantic harvest field, and you said the harvest, the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. So, Lord, we stand here today. We're volunteering to be a laborer. Thrust us into the harvest field. Let us be a laborer in the kingdom of God. Let us be a laborer in this harvest field. Father, if there's one in this harvest field that we're to be a witness to, that we're supposed to lead into the kingdom of God, give us the opportunity to speak to that one. Lead us and direct us. Help, it, help us to cross their path. Either they cross our path or we cross their path. And Lord, when we do, we'll know who it is and we'll know that you have prepared them to hear the word. We'll know that you have prepared them to receive the word of God and come into the kingdom of God. Help us with the words that we need to cause them to see that they need a savior. And that savior's name is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Lord, help us to have the words that we need on that day when our paths cross. Father, we thank you for your goodness, mercy, and grace, and we want to extend that goodness, mercy, and grace, that love, that kindness to everyone that's in the harvest field, and especially to our brothers and sisters in Christ. We want to love one another with the same love that you have for Jesus and he had for us. So we thank you, Lord, that we can be a good witness, that we can demonstrate your love and demonstrate your kindness through our giving. And we thank you, Lord, that the kingdom of God will be enhanced and the kingdom of God will grow and grow until you return to take up the harvest to heaven. But, Lord, don't let us be idle. Prompt us. Show us opportunities. Give us opportunities. Show us that one that needs to see your love and see your heart and see your kindness. We thank you for it in advance. And, Lord, we pray also that when we do come across them, that the blinders that Satan has put over their minds will be lifted and the light of the glorious gospel of Christ will shine through and they'll see for the first time in their life, they will see a light will shine in darkness and they will see. And we thank you and praise you for it in advance. In Jesus name, amen and amen. amen. Hallelujah. Well, I'm sorry I didn't get to finish it, but you got 99% of it. 
Uh, Facebook family, thank you for joining us. We appreciate you. If you thought this was a worthwhile message, please hit the share button and send it to your friends. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord.